shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness like Star Crunch, Cosmic Cupcakes, Mini Donuts, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Oxygen. The music of John Williams. Red 5, I'm going in. Like Star Wars itself, the music in the film defied conventional wisdom. At a time when disco was burning up the charts, having a traditional symphonic soundtrack was another huge risk on Lucas's part. He really understood the genre that I was talking about. It's a group of composers that weren't that well looked upon in the 70s. There was a different attitude toward the old-fashioned symphonic and the scores. And I had a lot of music in the movie. Hey, Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you, and welcome back once again to Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. It's Rebel Force Radio's monthly look and listen to the work of the maestro in all six films of the Star Wars saga, soon to be seven films. But sometimes we don't hold back. We look at all different venues in the Star Wars universe where you can find the music of John Williams and... The big topic on the table this week is the release of Star Wars Battlefront, and we're going to get down and dirty and talk about the music in that particular video game. But we couldn't do it without the man, the musician, actor, Star Wars Celebration stage host, David Collins. Hey, Jimmy Mack at Star Wars and Music Aficionados. Welcome to a very special Star Wars Oxygen, the very first of its kind in that we have a special guest this week. Our very first Star Wars Oxygen interview with composer Gordy Hobb. Gordy is the composer of Star Wars Battlefront, which just came out a couple weeks ago here. And uh, wow, I had a fantastic time talking with him, Jimmy. Um, we, uh, we were able to speak last week and uh, we spoke for, oh, a better part of an hour. And this is, uh, talk about a Star Wars fan and a John Williams fan. Gordy is a specialist at writing John Williams-esque type of music. Of course, he's done it for video games. First time I, I worked with Gordy Hobb um, indirectly, which is funny because we had actually never met until we did this Oxygen interview. Um, you know, he he was uh, brought in by Jesse Harlan, who was a friend and, and composer at LucasArts, to work on Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings uh, back in 2009. Eventually worked on Star Wars Connect and uh, also on the uh, Star Wars The Old Republic score as one of the composers for that. But his Star Wars Battlefront music is incredible, and I had a chance to talk to him all about it. Okay, Star Wars fans, here on Star Wars Oxygen, we have a a really special treat and a first for the show we have an interview with composer Gordy Hobb, who did an incredible job writing John Williams-esque music for Star Wars Battlefront, which, of course, just came out this past week, and uh, we're really excited to have him here on the show. Gordy, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our show and do this interview. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, well, first of all, you and I have, have kind of worked together, but not really over the years, so I, I've known about your work for a few years, but... This game really is is something special. It's a huge project. How did it come about? How did the gig for Battlefront come about? Well, you know, I I had met Ben Mento, who was the audio lead uh, at Dice. I had met him at GDC years ago, and uh, when I heard that Dice was uh, at the helm for Battlefront, I contacted him and sent him, you know, an updated demo of some of the music I had written for Star Wars Connect. And also Star Wars, uh, The Old Republic. And, you know, a year passed, and I know that he probably received demos from many people. And, you know, one thing came to the next, and I got thrown in the mix to do a demo. So I wrote about six minutes of music as sort of an audition. And uh, everyone seemed to really like what I had done. I wrote the music for uh, Tatooine. 
um, in Battlefront. And actually, the music I wrote for it ended up being used in the game. Oh, great. And um, that's, that's how I uh, landed the job. So, you know, we, we've covered the Tatooine music on, on the show. Did you, what was it like yeah. basically trying to write more music that's so visual um, and reminds you of Williams? How do you go about uh, writing that stuff? Do you, do you study the original tracks or do you, do you just have them in your head constantly walking around? Yeah, you know, it's a little of both. You know, to be honest, I think, you know, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, I, I, when I first wrote a score that was sort of in the style of John Williams, I was very overwhelmed by the, you know, the the idea of doing that, just thinking, wow, there's some big shoes to fill. And then, you know, I started to do that and, and it came really naturally. And, and I think because I'm of this generation where Star Wars in particular was such a huge part of my childhood and sort of the, the formative years, so to speak, you know, so that music was really just, you know, being drilled into my head long before I ever thought about studying music or learning to compose or any any of these types of things so I think that it just became a part of who I am and you know in a in a way where it wasn't you know I wasn't trying to analyze what I was hearing it was just it was just there and present at all times so you know for me it was almost like it was the seed that had been planted (laughs) when I was five years old that was just waiting for a moment to sort of blossom and come out so the first time I wrote in that style, I guess, was um, for a, actually a Star Wars fan film called Ryan versus Dorkman 2. And oh, um, it just kind of, it just felt completely natural. So yes, of course, I study the scores. And in particular, when I'm working, you know, on you know, Battlefront in particular, because, you know, there was, it was so, you know, rooted in the original trilogy and, you know, the planets are from the original trilogy. So I wanted the, the score to match uh, how Williams approached you know, scoring those particular planets. Um, so I did certainly study scores and listen to a lot, but for the most part, the ideas just kind of flow naturally for me in this style. Wow. So it's just something that's in your blood because you've been listening to that. When was the first time you heard these scores as a kid? I'm assuming, did you have yeah. the soundtrack albums? Uh, what was, what was the score experience like for you? Yeah, I did. You know, my, my first experience uh, hearing John Williams' music was probably, I don't know, maybe I was five years old, mm-hmm. uh, and I saw E.T. in the theaters. And you know, I can just recall loving the movie, but, but not really remembering much about any of the characters or the characters' names. And you know, I, 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 kept, going, I kept making my parents take me back. Every, you know, the, the following weekend, we went again. I watched it again. I just was you know, completely um, you know, sort of obsessed with this film. And, um, but I think what I was most obsessed with was, was the score, whether or not I knew that at the time or not, but I was able to, to sing all of the melodies from the film or play them on my dad's guitar, you know, just kind of plucking through. And, uh, you know, someone would ask me, Hey, what's the main character's name? I couldn't tell you, but I could play all of the main themes (laughs) on my dad's guitar, even at that age, which was just, you know, kind of one of these things is like, I think it just, it just, it hit me in some way. And, um, and sort of sunk in. Um, so that was my first experience with it. And, you know, I've just been a huge fan ever since. So it's just a big part of my musical upbringing, but also just, you know, my, my personal upbringing. Mm. So it was really E.T. that did it. And obviously yeah. Indiana Jones, Star Wars, all those incredible movies yeah. that came out around that time. Now, there are yeah. a, a lot of amazing uh, film composers, you know, in the 80s that were still really active. Jerry Goldsmith, Alan Silvestri, Absolutely. James Warner. What is it about John Williams for you that makes him so unique musically? Is it the way he uses orchestration? Is it the way he ties things together emotionally with the story? All of the above? What's your take? I mean, I think it is all of the above. I mean, there's certainly something very special about the way he approaches orchestration. And and something special about the way he approaches harmony as well. Um, it's very you know dense harmonically, but he really understands how to orchestrate for certain instrument groups to to be you know exactly where they speak well and and sound their best and so he can have maybe two different you know harmonic key areas happening at the exact same time but because he's he's putting one key area in the trumpet's voice in a perfect you know range for them and then maybe the strings are doing a completely different harmonic uh you know language but the way he has them voice are very spread voicings and that kind of thing 
they work together really well and they create this sort of vast size and spacious sound uh, that, and, and, you know, in some cases, very whimsical sound too. Uh, you know, the, the score for hook is a good example mm. there, or the Harry Potter scores, I think are extremely whimsical. So for, um, for, for people who are listening that maybe aren't musicians, that would mm-hmm. translate to basically being, you have a simple melody, but, but alongside that melody is this dense counterpart that's kind of almost working alongside or almost against emotionally what that melody is doing. Is that yeah, kind of a exactly. way you would you would you would phrase that? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, you know, if you were to t- actually just look at the melodies themselves, I mean, the the you know the main character themes or the main themes for the films, uh, melodically they're actually pretty simple. Um, but what's happening behind it is extremely complex, and I think that's what gives it depth, in my opinion, and and sort of a you know, like a third dimension to the music. So I think that's what makes him special in particular. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith had that that language as well and did it very well. Alan Silvestri is somebody who I think I love his music, um, you know, but like I, I feel like his his melodies are extremely strong. But what's happening behind the melodies is just supporting that melody. But right. with John Williams, the melody is very strong. But what's happening behind it is is this counterpart to the melody that's sort of creating this you know, more complex and vast, uh, you know, soundscape, so to speak. So there's always, always two things going on. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I heard, you know, attributed to John Williams music actually came from his brother, Don Williams, the mm-hmm. timpani, uh, player. And I went to this, uh, this study group and you, you probably know about it. Um, and he, he just nailed something that hadn't really occurred to me. And now I just think it's the most obvious thing in the world, which is, which is movement. That yeah. even even at slower tempos, the the movement, meaning there's always some activity. There's not just a simple sustained chord. Or I mean, right. even when they're complex chords, something is always rhythmically pushing forward, even in yeah. the ballads. Um, and that just seems like something that you nailed. Is that something that you were really conscious of, or or is it something that just worked sort of in the subconscious when you're composing? I mean, I think it's a bit of both. And and, and going back to what I was saying before, I think just. The, the notion of the accompaniment to a melody always constantly moving and changing and, and reshaping itself as you're listening is, is just something that's kind of natural to me. Like actually like holding a chord, I, I, I begin to feel uncomfortable. Like I'm not doing something interesting and I immediately have to get away from it and do something with it. Um, but I am also conscious that, that John Williams does that. And uh, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's definitely one of his tricks. And I think that's, something that creates a lot of emotion and it always feels like you're, you're never like settling for too long because he's always constantly taking on a journey with all of this motion. And, uh, it's certainly something that I appreciate about his writing and, and always try to incorporate into my own. Well, let's talk about your score. First of all, you, you wrote a, you wrote a very large score. I've been playing battlefront quite a bit this week. Um, cool. and just really loving it. And, um, you wrote a lot of music. Do you have a, uh, a minute count or how much you actually wrote for the music or is that something you're at liberty to, to disclose? Yeah, I, you know, it, it ended up being somewhere in the ballpark of 120 minutes. Is, wow. Is what I think it was. I mean, it was a pretty big score. Uh, you know, it started smaller, but then the scope sort of expanded. And then when we started talking about doing, uh, you know, new arrangements or orchestrations of John Williams' themes, some of the character themes to accompany the characters in the game, that sort of expanded the minute count as well. So uh, all in all, I think it's right around 120 minutes that I was, you know, ultimately responsible for uh, various versions of, of different cues and that kind of thing as well. But not, um, not a lot of that is, I mean, you did some reorchestration of original themes, yeah. but you were lacing original themes with all new music as well. How much do you feel yes. like was original in the style of John Williams versus kind of a new treatment of, of John Williams. I mean, maybe it's too hard to say cause they're so intermixed. Yeah. I would say it's probably, you know, just thinking out loud here. I think there's probably a total of maybe 15 minutes of music that was John Williams that I just reorchestrated or wow. rearranged for the, for the larger orchestra that we had. Uh, but, but every, every piece of music that I wrote was completely original. I didn't use any of John Williams themes. Um, and, and actually by design, because 
I know that we were I knew that we were going to be using the original recordings in the game as well. Mm. Um, so why reinvent the wheel? You know, the the audience of players is going to get to hear these themes anyway. So why try to squeeze them into my music? And give give the audience something new. So I'd say probably you know, a hundred minutes, 105 minutes, something like that is completely original. And how many, did you do that all in one uh, recording session? It sounds like you went back a few times. I mean, yeah, in terms of like sections. recording sessions. Okay. Yeah, we, we recorded, uh, the first recording session was in January uh, this past year and um, at, in London at Abbey Road with the London Symphony. And then we went back in May and recorded the, the second half of the score. How much was in the second half versus the first? Was it 50-50 or was it more? It was almost exactly 50-50. Wow. So you were busy. How how long yeah. do you feel like, <laughs> was there a lot of iteration working with Dice? What was it like working with Dice? I mean, did you did you basically write and they accepted it or was there a lot of sketching and back and forth? Uh, you know, working with Dice was, was so seamlessly easy. I, um, they, I think they essentially realized that I understood this music so well that they they sort of just trusted me to do my thing and so there was very little i mean there was there was back and forth before i started writing example you know hey this is going to be for this planet and we need to have this many minutes of this type of music to accompany this thing in the game uh but once the design the sort of the, the outline was was set up then i just did my thing and i don't think there was one case where i, I demoed the music where i got feedback or notes you know so to speak so it was it was Pretty, you know, pretty easy well, that's, <laughs> in a lot of ways. That's and great. a rare treat, to be honest. Yeah, that, that seems like what a compliment that is, and what a what a great uh, testimony to your uh, to your skill in doing this. And um, you know, 120 minutes without having to do revisions is still a monumental task with music this yeah. dense. How long did it take you? Do you think to write it? And, and and can you talk about your writing process in general? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's I'd say that. If I were to add up all the the you know the time that I spent writing, because even though the, I, I wrote over the course of a year, but there were times in that year where I wasn't working, um, it probably added up to be somewhere around six six months of writing, mm. um, somewhere in that ballpark. You know, example, I, I started, I did the the demo of Tatooine that I talked about earlier uh, in the beginning of the year, and then it was three months before I started on the. The, the bulk of the game. So that was three months where I wasn't working on the game, but uh, the total schedule was about a year, you know, with about six months of writing. Six, six solid months of writing. And can we, yeah. I'd love to break that down because one of the things we talk about in the show a lot was John Williams' sort of creative process and how it's different than yeah. what composers go through today in that, you know, he, he, was, he had a shorthand with his orchestrator, Herbert Spencer, right? right? And sure. he was basically writing everything on staff paper and pencil in front mm-hmm. of a grand piano. But nowadays... Right. Were you having to synthestrate everything and present sketches before you recorded the real thing? Were you having to basically go through all that production task? Did you have any assistance in that, or was it just all you? Yeah, yeah I um, yes to all of that. Uh, so <laughs> my process, which is, you know, and, and maybe this, you know, I'll, I'll preface, I think maybe my process is part of the reason that I, I am able to latch on to writing music in this style uh, so well is because I... I actually do write everything pencil to paper. I'm sort of old school in that regard. Wow. Um, yeah, everything's manuscript. But th- but then I sketch and I do my sketches manuscript and then I send my sketches to uh, a synthestrator who's been working with me for years and and he does uh, a mock up of of this you know, particular cube for and then you know we send that off to be approved and you know, then it's approved and then I orchestrate it from there. So, and usually the sketches are probably as orchestrated as John Williams sketches are. I mean, they're probably 90% orchestrated before I even send them off to be mocked up. So my, I mean, my process, I, I'm much better as an orchestrator than I am as a, uh, synthestrator, someone that, you know, does the mock-ups and mm. synthesizes and produces it. So it seems to me a better use of resources to, you know, allocate orchestration budgets or however to me, you know, doing the orchestration and then using part of that to hire somebody to do the synthesis trading. 
How rare, in your opinion, is it to still work that way, other than John Williams and, and you working that way? Um, because it seems like a lot of composers are sitting in front of their samples and mocking things yeah. up that way and submitting them to directors. I mean, to my knowledge, I, I don't really know of anyone that does it anymore. You know, I mean, I know there, there are certain, certainly people that probably do some light sketching on paper, but then immediately go to the computer. Mm. Um, you know, my, my entire score was, was written into, into a, a sketched manuscript, and then I put it and orchestrated it into Finale, a, no, a music notation program, which I think is a pretty rare thing for composers to have that as the first part of their process. So, yeah, I think, yeah. I think I'm one of very few. I mean, I couldn't even name somebody, I think, that, that works that way you know, on a regular basis, you know, other than, you know, John Williams, of course, still does. Um, there may be some, you know, older school composers that still do, but I can't think of anyone in the new guard. Right. Well, you know what, one of the things that I, and this is just my personal opinion, but I'd be really curious to know what your Mm -hmm. take on this. I, I feel like Uh, And this is something that people ask us about a lot. How come so many uh, film scores and game scores sound so similar? And having done a lot of synthestration myself, it is tedious. It is incredibly tedious. Not that, you know, notating isn't, but when it's all in your head, there's no shortcut in notating. Whereas when you're sitting in front of um, the same sample libraries that everyone's sitting in front of, you know, everything becomes homogenized. And, uh, you know, you, you know, people put in their, their big drum loops and they put in, you know, their, their ostinatos, uh, you know, with their strings or whatever. And then they just kind of, kind of ride around that. You, you then are saying that you bypass all of that and that this is all in your head. Are you in front of a piano or or keyboard or? Yeah. I I mean, I'm a a very mediocre piano player at best, but I do use a piano as a tool to sort of do my writing. But I'd say, you know, maybe 75 to 80 percent of what I'm doing is actually just in my head. And then I write down on paper as I go. Um, and I'm just faster that way uh, than trying to figure it out on the piano. And I'm certainly faster that way than trying to to synthesize as I go, um, you know, to, to you know, do mock ups as I go. And and to your point, I think that I think that a lot of composers sort of we're getting this the same sound out of a lot of composers these days. Uh, honestly, because the sample libraries that we're using are still very limited in their capabilities. I mean, they're obviously getting better, but I feel like when you're working that way, you're writing down to the level of the samples. Mm-hmm. And you're writing what you know will sound good with samples. And then it becomes sort of this, you know, same old, same old kind of sound because they're only capable of so many things. You know, I mean, even looking at the score for Battlefront, for example, you know, the way I wrote that, I had to explain to Dice, because I know that they are certainly used to working with other composers that probably work from a mock-up standpoint. But I had to explain to them that this type of music, this very symphonic sounding music, that's written to be recorded with a full orchestra in a very symphonic fashion, doesn't necessarily sound very good as a mock-up. And I, I wanted to make sure they understood that in advance, you know, because I'm sure they're used to getting really great demos and to to uh, the credit of my synthestrator, I mean, he he does an amazing job creating mock-ups for this sound. But, you know, a lot of these samples are not really meant to play this type of music. Mm. So, you know, so I had to sort of explain that in advance. And, you know, there, there was a very good understanding and trust. So, yeah, I, I, I will say, you know, you spend a lot of time when you're, I know we're talking about this a lot for, for those of you that are listening, but you know, I, I was working on a score this year and you do spend a lot of time favoring some samples over others, especially when you know it's going to ship with samples. There's no budget right. for orchestra. So, you know, you favor certain instruments of, over others, or you, you do certain things over and over again, just because you know, the horns are going to give themselves away if you do this and the trumpets can, you know, can blast here on this crescendo. But if you give them a line, you're going to immediately hear that it's fake. And you know, all these things that you don't have, you just bypass all of that, just like John Williams. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like that, that, that to me seems like a tremendous advantage for you in terms of emulating what he did. I think it is certainly Um, an advantage. That's amazing. That and do you feel like you are faster because of that as well? Or do you feel like... I it... think so. Uh, yeah, I think so because I think my skill set lends itself to that much better than it does 
say, lend itself to sitting in front of the sequencer and trying to produce as I go. Can I ask you? you? I mean, there's a a very technical side to that as well that is a very important skill set. My skill set in orchestration is much better than my skill set in that is, for example. So it it does make it faster for me. I I don't believe it's probably right for every composer, but it, it works for me. So. Well, let's talk about you as an individual. I'd love to love to know mm-hmm. more about you know how you came up with this skill set. You mentioned that piano wasn't your primary instrument, but right. you know you 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 obviously have a natural gift for for hearing these things in your head and being able to kind of transcribe them. And um, what is your musical background? Um, kind of where 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 did this all develop? And um, are there any sort of comparisons to John Williams and sort of his jazz background or or his music school background coming up? Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, I studied uh, at a university in Virginia, and I studied jazz composition. So my background is sort of jazz. I mean, my and before that, you know, I was always, you know, from very early age, interested in music, and you know, able to kind of pick up any instrument and kind of figure it out. You know, so I self-taught myself a lot of instruments, but my primary instrument is trombone. That's the only instrument I've ever studied and taken lessons on. And, you know, that was my minor in uh, university setting. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'd listened to classical music a lot growing up and I think that certainly, you know, played a role, but I also played in, you know, metal bands and, (laughs) you know, rock bands or funk bands or all this kind of thing. So, you know, I just had a very like sort of wide range of influences um, you know, growing up before even going into college and studying music. So that's fantastic. How would you describe, uh, the John Williams style? Would you say it's kind of a neoclassical thing? I mean, we, we, they talk a lot about sort of the romantic period and mm-hmm. Wagner and light motifs and all that kind of stuff, but right. you know, how do you hone in on something that's so vast? You brought up musical styles, John, you know, the star Wars scores have so many different influences, what to you is what you what you really honed in on, particularly with Star Wars and John Williams? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I try to go to the same sources that he went to as, as sort of inspiration. And I mean, certainly, I mean, in a lot of ways, you could probably almost hear what things were temp scored with in, in mm. the, the first film, you know. And, you know, his influences were certainly like Holst and, you know, Stravinsky in places and Shostakovich in places. And these are all composers that I love and study constantly and you know I, I would describe his sound as sort of a you know a neo-romantic sound I mean he certainly has the romantic uh, opera idea there and uh, you know I mean from an orchestration standpoint I think like you know he, he certainly drew some inspiration from uh, Shostakovich in particular and then you know even Tchaikovsky I think is a big influence on, on his sure. orchestration style sure the romanticism so. And then he'll throw in a little bit of the Rite of Spring and, yeah, and exactly. uh, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you have, and I know it's almost impossible to pick, but you know, the, 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 the people listening to this show know this music inside and out. You know, they can close their eyes and just hear a bar and know exactly where it comes from. It's yeah. too hard to pick one uh, favorite cue from the Star Wars uh, movies. It doesn't have to be the original. It can be all six. Do you have, <laughs> what are your top three if you are forced to choose? Man, that's tough. <laughs> it is, or you, um, you don't even have to say top three. Some of your favorites and why? Yeah, Battle of Hoth, I, I, I love it, love it, love it because, and, and I think partially because you know, I, it was a sound that I grew up hearing, and you know, it, it just it defined something exciting for me, you know. So it was something from very early in my in my you know development as a musician. Um, what was it about the Battle of Hoth? specifically was it just the odd orchestration the odd, sort of odd instrument choices or was it the the weight of it because it was kind of heavy metal what was it yeah i mean it's it's a, a bit of all of those things and that's a good description of it too because uh, you know orchestrationally i love the way he skips from section to section in the orchestra and kind of bounces ideas around it's like a constant constantly moving exciting sort of uh you know action piece and you know, I, I really like that concept of, you know, you, you never get bored because you're, you know, you're always getting a surprise around the corner. Uh, and that's certainly something that, like, I think he, he really nailed that in the, the prequels, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, a lot of the action sequences in the prequels are, are just some of the most stellar composing that I can think of in, in modern film. Um, 
any particular cues that, that pop to mind? Um, yeah, let me, I'm trying to think like, well, I mean like a lot of the stuff for the pod races I think is really exciting. So, you know, love it or hate it as a film. <laughs> I think the music in that film is, is episode excellent. one. Yeah. From yeah. episode one. Um, you know, there's, there's some really beautiful stuff in, uh, in episode two as well. Some, some really nice harmonic writing. Um, and then Anakin's theme. I, I, I'd have to put that probably in my top three for sure uh, from F1. It's just the way he crafted that melody and sort of, you know, really shaped it. And, and harmonically what he's doing is just so interesting. You know, I mean, I think maybe it's, if you're not a musician and you're listening to it, it just sounds like this beautiful thing. And, you know, obviously you can hear fragments of, you know, the, the, the Vader theme kind of popping up throughout the melody, which of course is cool and we all hoped for. But mm-hmm. if you were to actually look at it from like an analytical standpoint, harmonically, it's, it's extremely complex. And I think that's what's so interesting about it for me. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a great description. I, I love that, that theme. Um, yeah. you know, it's one of his more complex themes from, from the prequels yeah. and just so much going on in there. And we, yeah. we talked about that a lot. Um, any other cues from the classic trilogy that really sort of inspired you as a starting point for writing the score? Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly the music from Tatooine was a big inspiration because that was such a, you know, major feature in, in Battlefront. So I looked into that music a lot and I'm a big fan of it. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he did, you know, was sort of harkens back to Rite of Spring. And, and you know, even I, I would say, you know, Jerry Goldsmith's score for Planet of the Apes. And, yes. But the way, you know, but the way he blended it all together and made this like sort of unique sound, I think is really cool. It's kind of, it's kind of gritty. It's kind of offbeat a little bit the way he's using bassoons and you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say comical but it's just sort of an otherworldly sound that he creates with this with you know the percussion and the you know the the double reed instruments and you know big banging percussion i think is really cool you know sort of the planet of the apes kind of approach you know yeah so and i think it's very unique what he did you know even though i can certainly see his source material there but but how he took that and did something new with it. I think it's really great. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I think it's ironic that you were working with a London symphony orchestra and John Williams is using, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> is working in LA. We're not, we're not yeah. getting that for the force awakens. What a treat to work with the LSO. What was the feedback like from the musicians as you were tracking, you know, did, did it you was, talk to them? it was pretty amazing. Um, and I had also recorded, uh, the Star Wars Connect score with the London Symphony. So, so they knew who I was. I, you know, I went in there. I wasn't, you know, a new face for them. But, you know, after the first cue, I, you know, it was, it was a standing ovation in the room. I mean, they wow. just were so excited to play this music. And it, of course, because it's Star Wars and because it's extremely challenging music to perform, I think they were just excited to have something that put them on the edge of their seat. You know, it's, I think it's kind of a rare thing to have music that's that difficult, but that rewarding to play, you mm-hmm. know, in modern film music. What you was know, the a first... lot of times the orchestra is, is treated more as like a, an extra layer in the scheme of the score. You know, there's big percussion loops and this kind of thing and then synth loops. And then the orchestra is this extra thing that's being added in. Right. You know, but with, with the John Williams style, it's, it's so symphonic. I mean, it's written to be, it's almost written to be like concert music. Mm-hmm. like completely performed by the orchestra. The orchestra is the feature. And I think the orchestra gets a chance to sort of do what they have spent their whole lives learning to do, which is play tricky music that, you know, it's sort of um, you know rewarding for them. And so, you know, I could, I could see immediately, and I've, I've been on many recording sessions before where I've written different type of music and the orchestra is certainly happy to be playing, but, you know, the, the, there's not the same amount of, you know, energy and excitement about playing it as, as there is for music of this type. I mean, you see the, all the violins sitting on the edge of their seat and just, you know, practicing the parts before they play. And then they just get really excited and into it. You know, you can tell that they really are enjoying this music. So now correct me if I'm wrong, but you also conduct your own scores. Is that right? Uh, I, I have in the past and I, and I like to do that, but I did not do that on battlefront. Actually, we had a conductor named Andy Brown conduct. And that's mostly what what people do nowadays, right? They usually hire a conductor so they can kind of produce the score. Yeah, it's pretty common. And, you know, I chose to do that this time because 
of how much music we were recording and how fast we had to record it. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had my ears on every little detail. And, you know, when you're conducting, you're, you're wearing headphones and it's a little harder to hear everything, you know, so, and, and of course then I'm concentrating on making sure I'm conducting well and reading the score properly. And, you know, so it, I felt like it would be a better use of my ears to be in the booth and just paying really close attention to all the details. So we hired a conductor for this. So for 120 minutes of music, how many days of recording does, did that amount to for the LSO? So we did, and the way we recorded it too is, is sort of different. So um, uh, those 120 minutes probably made up about, I'd say, 80 minutes of actual recording. And then a lot of the music was sort of pulling this piece from this piece and creating it from in the, in a music editing sort of fashion. Right. So we, we yeah. probably recorded 80 minutes and we did, uh, two days. So wow. we had the orchestra for one day, we did about 40 minutes. And then again, in May, we did another 40 minutes. In just two days. That in is, just two days. That's amazing. And are you able to work that fast because there, you're not working to picture or, I mean, that seems very fast to me. Um, it is very fast. We're able to work that fast because the London Symphony is so incredibly good. Mm. I mean, they sight read this music. It, the first time they read it down is the first time they're looking at it. It sounds completely perfect. And so, you know, doing a second take is more, you know, a matter of, hey, why don't we try it this way just to get a second option on this? You know, I mean, it's there's very little rehearsing or, you know, there's certainly very few mistakes, if any. And uh, so they're able to do it very quickly. Wow. Well, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the actual pieces. You have two pieces that were featured on the Huffington Post and mm -hmm. a few other places, one of which was uh, for the planet Hoth. And right. uh, I'm going to go ahead and play that uh, for everybody so they can take a listen here.
having listened to that, I mean, it really does strike me how uh, how close it is to the original, yet it is totally unique. But the textures are so similar to some of those opening cuts on the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. What was it yeah. uh, that you specifically targeted? What was your what was your process for writing this? Yeah, I mean, this one again, you know, because I'm I'm such a fan of the the Empire score. You know, I was very excited about doing writing music for Hoth, and I, I sort of boiled down a lot of the music that he had written for Hoth and Empire, and, and boiled it down to a few elements that I felt were characteristic, and uh, most of which were the way he layered certain harmonies together. And um, you know, there's a lot of technical things, but but also the way he used the French horn section and sort of this mid low range of the instrument kind of gives it this, you know sort of warbly dark kind of feel to it. I liked that a lot. I latched onto that. And there's some dissonance. Um, there's some dissonance. Like there's this part that I just thought, it's funny that you said you're a trombone player because there's this part that I heard that I just thought, man, you just nailed these harmonies here. That part right there. Yeah. And then this crescendo here and then the way that you're using the winds chromatically. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, all the, uh, the the strings and the percussion and the and the low brass, you know, um, per sort of percussive hits, just yeah. brilliant. I mean, it just it just sounds to me exactly like Williams. Um, you know, I, does this was this something that you labored over, or did it just come flying out of you? <laughs> this just sort of came flying out of me. I probably wrote that particular piece faster than I wrote anything for the game. To be honest, wow. I, I, you know, I probably spent. You know, from from the beginning of that piece that that you played to about that point, I probably spent an afternoon writing and orchestrating. It was just it just kind of flew out. But you know, and and it's certainly based in a lot of the harmonies that that John Williams was using. So I sort of had my palette there to play with. You know, but he would touch on these ideas and then move away really quickly and go into you know one of the character like motifs or something along these lines. And I thought, here's an opportunity to take this sound that he he started but didn't get really didn't have a chance to really develop and stretch so Mm. i took that opportunity to pick up where he started and then really kind of develop it out and you know play that sound for a little bit more time right because you don't have the constraints of you know frame counts and shot counts and stuff like that so you can actually give it room to breathe exactly yeah I mean, it does feel like you're you're taking this cue and just, and that's exactly what video games are. You're living in a world for so much longer and so many more hours than you are in a film. It's just such a brilliant move. I, I saw this article that, that you had with the LA Times that said that DICE asked you for the B-side of a John Williams soundtrack. Yeah. Can you explain yeah. to listeners uh, what they meant by that and kind of and kind of what your thoughts were approaching that? Sure. It's, it's almost exactly what I was just saying, where it's, you know, these are like the John Williams ideas that maybe he didn't get to fully develop because of the, the constraints of, you know, the, the scene shift or, you know, a new character pops up on screen and we have to jump to their theme or however. And uh, so this was sort of the idea was to sort of create the music in that style of the original trilogy, but really stretch it and, you know, expand upon it and sort of create the tracks that maybe, you know, you didn't get to hear in the films because of the constraints of the, the timing of the film. It, and uh, Almost like it doesn't call attention to itself. It just feels like a natural extension of what's already there. Yeah. And, and in this piece you're listening to is just, it's, it's a very small little sampling of music for Hawk and the actual full length Hawk planet suite for Battlefront is about 12 minutes long and then, and includes music from John Williams. And then I write these transitions out of his pieces and into something new. And then the end of my piece transitions back into something from John Williams. So it's sort of this seamless, you know, back and forth between Williams and me. It's kind of an interesting approach. That's fantastic. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about though, was the second piece, because I actually feel like this is a very different skill set. And that was this yeah. piece that you wrote for Sullust, which yeah. we've never seen like we see it in Battlefront in the film. So this was kind of a unique challenge. Can you talk about how you approached Sullust and sure. what you thought it Sullust should sound like? Sullust was um, my favorite planet to work on and also the most daunting because there was no source material for me to 
sort of lean on because there was Solus is never featured in the films. And so I knew that this was an opportunity for me to sort of spread my wings and do something completely new, kind of put my, you know, my touch on the, the Star Wars universe, um, being the first time you're hearing music associated with this planet. But it was also kind of scary because <laughs> I knew that I had to really step it up and do something cool and unique that would, you know, stand out. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, labored over this one. But uh, I think I came up with a really cool, interesting sound. And my approach was to sort of write music that accompanied the, the, the terrain of the planet, which is very harsh and jagged and you know it's, it's a lava planet so there's something always boiling up underneath but then it has this rocky angular terrain so i, I wrote a couple short you know sort of fragmented themes that are very angular and then orchestrated that so there's always something sort of you know murmuring and bubbling up underneath of it let's take a listen to the sullust harsh terrain star wars battlefront theme by gordy hobb
it's amazing to me how much thought goes into this and how you really can visualize kind of the uh, the sharp-edged black rock and the red lava when you listen to this. Um, did they provide you with any concept art? Um, you know, how did how did that go when you were looking at it? And and it, was that part of your process as well? Yeah, it, it certainly was. And I had uh, I had concept art to look at and, as inspiration, um, and certainly a description of you know, what Solace was and, and its significance in the Star Wars universe. And so I, I sort of put all that stuff into a pot, mixed it up and sort of came up with this concept for the music to accompany that. And, you know, it's, it had to be something that's because it's also an industrial planet. So I wanted to make sure that there were, you know, rhythmic sort of machine like elements that were happening throughout the score for it's- Solace as well to kind of accompany that along with these other things that I had spoken about, the sort of angular, um, melodic shapes and, you know, or murmuring sort of bubbling orchestration. So I, I, I'm glad you brought up the prequels earlier, by the way, in those scores, because, yeah. you know, the more you, you dig into the prequels, the more you realize it's some of John Williams' best Star Wars work. I feel like I hear yeah. a lot of episode three and, yeah. and uh, you know, not necessarily Mustafar. I think my brain wants to go to Mustafar, but more of the sort of action music uh, and maybe mm-hmm. some of the... You know, some of the Mustafar type of stuff, but really sure. um, sort of the, the, the eighth note rhythmic ostinato, you know, of the ostinati yeah. of, the, uh, of the strings, that just chunking away, uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. Was that all intentional or do you think it just it both kind it, of lend? Somewhat intentional. I mean, I certainly, you know, I, I, I know those scores very well. So, I mean, they're always sort of in the back of my head as, as, as source material for me to sort of pull inspiration from for the Star Wars universe. So, I mean, certainly it, you know, it, it made it into my scores, you know, somewhat intentionally because of that. But, you know, I wasn't trying to necessarily do anything, that, you know, where, where the listener would say, oh, I can, I can hear the prequel scores in this. Right. I was really just trying to sort of do something that matched the setting, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly probably some inspiration from the prequels, honestly, probably more so from the prequels than the original trilogy. For, for so. For Solist. Yeah, that, no, yeah. that makes sense, right? Because it's, it's new, it's a new planet. Right. And yeah, that definitely makes sense. Well, and, and I, that choice was intentional for sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic piece. And I love that it's got an action segment as well as a very textural uh, segment. And it seems like there's some new developing melodies in there for Solist. Yeah, yeah, I came up with a couple of new melodies. Uh, there's one sort of longer form melody. Uh, that you can hear in the second half of that piece. And what inspired, um, and what inspired a, that melody? I'm sorry? What inspired that melody? Kind of what was your thought about it? You know, I just wanted to do something that was emotional and kind of captured, you know, the, the intensity and, and darkness that Solace is. Uh, so I, it just inspired, you know, sort of this moody, you know, dark theme. And, uh, and on the flip side, you know, I also wanted to have this, like I spoke about this angular theme. So I came up with a very short, you know, almost motif that I pull from a lot. And it's, it's really just three notes, but the, but the shape of the notes is very pointed angular. It starts very low, then jumps up high and then jumps down. Um, so it kind of creates that, you know, sort of jagged shape. This is a great, a great piece of music. And it's so great to hear exciting new music. I, I wanted to tell you that a lot of people, you know, were tweeting me, you know, listen to the show going, oh, there's new John Williams music in, in Battlefront. There's new John Williams. <laughs> I'm like, you know, oh, no, 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 it's Gordy Hobb. You know, when you finally were able to kind of spill the beans that you were working on it for <laughs> right. the longest time, you know, people thought it was new John Williams. Yeah. Um, we have a new John Williams score coming out in a month. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I ask you, what, what are you sort of most looking forward to in a new John Williams Star Wars score? What do you, oh, hope, what do you hope we get? I hope I hope that he take, picks up where he left off in in episode three, and just takes it into a new sound from there. Because I think he really, for me, the prequels were a, a great development in his his sound for the Star Wars universe. Uh, you know, picking up from where he had left off on the original trilogy, and I think he just expanded upon it and just became even more, you know, complex in his ideas and harmonic structures and his melodies are were very interesting and the way he orchestrated was really just using the full range of the orchestra. So I'm hoping I hear more of that sort of a, you know, picking up where he left off and expanding upon it. 
Wow, that's that's a what a great answer. And again, you know, uh, more evidence that musically the prequels are as strong as ever. And uh, yeah, and it makes sense too from a com- creative evolution that he would just pick up where he left off ten years ago. Right. Um, right. Well, I really, really appreciate having you here on the show, and uh, just loved your work on Star Wars Battlefront. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that. I I. I honestly would love to hear you do a whole movie like this. I hope that that happens someday. And I certainly hope that, you know, uh, if Battlefront continues, that you're on board and that we get more great music yes. from Gordy Hobb. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you having me on and uh, enjoy talking to you. The pleasure and honor is ours. So thank you very much. And great. thank uh, you. Yeah, may the force be with you. We'll talk soon. Well, there you have it an exclusive interview with Star Wars Battlefront composer Gordy Hobb. And uh, let's just uh, run down some of the things that really jump out at me from that interview, outside of the fact that Gordy is obviously a very passionate Star Wars fan and really a very talented musician in his own right, obviously very influenced by the work of John Williams. I think it's amazing that he's so influenced by Williams that he actually composes with paper and pencil. That's amazing to me. I know, and I I wanted to ask him a little bit more about how that how that kind of started, you know, I mean, is that something that started in school and he just kind of kept with it? But I love the idea that he has and shares this tradition of just, you know what, I'm going to write on staff paper. I mean, you want to talk about raw talent. He's got all those notes in his head. You know, he's got all that orchestration in his head just using a piano and staff paper. And then he hands it off to an orchestrator and a, and, a, and someone to synthesize it and make it mocked up on a computer. But very similar to John Williams, um, he just does it the old-fashioned way. And the my favorite part about that whole discussion was talking about why um, scores have become so homogenized. You know, that's a question we get a lot is, how come we don't have those same rich scores that we used to have in the 80s and 90s? Well, we do have them. It's just that a lot of music sounds the same nowadays, and it's because we're all sharing the same tools. They've become democratized and easily accessible, and um, it's become very easy to make music that sounds pretty decent for very little money using uh, computers and samples. And that's the majority of what you hear on TV. You hear it in a lot of movies. You hear it in a ton of it in trailers. You know, and now here's a guy that still writes with pencil and paper and then goes to Abbey Road Studios and records the London Symphony Orchestra for Star Wars Battlefront. And that's part of why um, it sounds so much like John Williams. He has to fully use... Uh, the orchestra. You know, it's, it's kind of like if you're in a, deba- a debate with somebody, if, you're, if you've ever been on a debate team or something like that, which I haven't, I don't even know why I'm bringing it up, but whoever has the better vocabulary and is the more articulate mm-hmm. is probably going to win the debate, even if they're on the, you know, technically wrong side of the debate, uh, air quotes. Um, it's like that with music. John Williams has an incredible vocabulary when it comes to fully using an orchestra from the ground up. Gordy uh, has, has put that you know, generously on display as well in terms of that talent of his with Star Wars Battlefront. And I think that old-fashioned way of writing um, is a part of that. And it's also amazing that he's actually recording with the LSO at Abbey Road. Yeah. I mean, John Williams himself didn't even do that for The Force Awakens. He recorded in California. Yeah, and this is an interesting point. So I I think that um, there's a couple things going on here. Uh, that we should probably bring up. One, uh, recording video game music at Abbey Road has become more and more common. It's something that I saw us do a lot at Sony. Uh, You know, we recorded at Abbey Road or at Air Studios in London uh, using uh, London players or the LSO. Um, Obviously, there's a huge, rich history of Star Wars there. There's also a geographical advantage. I don't know if a lot of people know this if you're playing Star Wars Battlefront, but DICE is located in Stockholm, right? They're a European... They're in Stockholm, Sweden. They're they're a, they're a European company, right? So uh, there is a geographical advantage in that the producers can just fly over to London as opposed to have to fly all the way out to L.A. Now on this at, on the same token, Bad Robot is in Santa Monica, California, out by the beach here in Los Angeles. And uh, you know if you're recording in L.A. at Sony Studios in Culver City, that is a very easy drive for one J.J. Abrams to make, right? And if you are constantly changing the film, and if you're, you know, wanting to use John Williams again and again for pickups, it becomes much easier to jump back into the studio when everyone's in L.A. as opposed to having to plan yet another trip over to London, which is a very big deal. So you get more flexibility and hopefully less of what we experienced in the prequels, 
which uh, which we've talked about, the reuse of music uh, mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens. So I, I think that there are real production advantages to both of those scenarios, you know, Battlefront being in London and The Force Awakens being in L.A. I don't think it's a rejection of the LSO by any means by John Williams. And not to mention that the guy is approaching his mid-80s. You know, I'm sure that that's a factor as well. But those are just my thoughts on it, just having to deal with L.A. traffic every day. I think that that's a a real consideration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep it close to home. And uh, it's really fascinating to uh, consider, though, all the similarities and the the style that Gordy exhibits. And, you know, I mean, the only way he could get closer to John Williams is actually by like using John's baton or something, which he probably does. <laughs> we'll have to start worrying about Gordy if he grows a beard and starts styling his hair a certain way and starts wearing certain clothes. Turtleneck. And- <laughs> Turtlenecks. Yeah. The, yep. Yes, the, the classic turtleneck look yep. and the same, uh, you know, wire rim glasses and Everything that would be uh, that would be crazy, but uh, truly a talented guy and uh, someone I'm glad we got the chance to know here on Star Wars Oxygen. So uh, thanks a lot, Gordy, for joining us. Thank you, David, for bringing that excellent interview to us here at Rebel Force Radio. Oh yeah, and yeah, thanks again, Gordy, and uh, for all of you playing Star Wars Battlefront. May the Force be with you. I'm so addicted to this game. I, uh, I, you know, I've been playing it all the time. <clears throat> Mostly playing the Fighter Squadron stuff. I can't get enough of that. Um, but I'm just slowly leveling up, trying to get to that Sulliston at level 40, which I voiced in the game. And of course, it's level 40. So in order to hear my own voice work, clearly, I have to play the game for like another two months. Uh, <laughs> well, at least you have that motivation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you get a really sweet payoff once you get there. Yeah. Hey, it's me! Yeah. Oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Gordy. And thanks all for listening. I just thought that, uh, you know, those pieces, especially the Hoth, piece was just a dead ringer for John Williams. The Sulliston piece was just so new and and unique and 120 minutes of original music mixed with all of the John Williams music makes the game sound new and fresh, but also very familiar. And I just love that about Battlefront. And uh, so, yeah, I'd like to continue doing more of these type of interviews uh, with different uh, composers or different John Williams experts, um, people that we've mentioned on the show a few times. And uh, this is one of hopefully many to come. Yes, absolutely, David. I'm sure it is. I got to hear it. I got to hear your Celestian. Oh, boy. I'd, I'd, it was, I screamed, uh, my, as a Celestian, I probably screamed for about four hours straight. And usually it was stuff like, uh, oh, gosh, I'll have to insert a recording of it. I wonder if I have my audition file. But I do stuff like, like that. <laughs> I'm, you know, that's that's like the majority of what I would do is just like screaming my head off, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it was just Ooh, really like that was good. That's, that was very did that. numb. Yeah, that's what I did. But then then I had to take it up into a scream, you know, um, and that was and then they pitched it up a little bit on top of that. So that's me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, there's wow. one of I'd many aliens what, in that game. You, you, you know, you, you always impress me. Uh, musician. And uh, interview talent, and um, and of course Celestin. So, <laughs> what does Billy D say to Nine Numb? You uh, look like a stack of pancakes. <laughs> I don't think he says that. I'm pretty sure. Well, may, oh, did he say that as the camera cut away? <laughs> well, I what think it's a to? robot chicken yeah. thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's well, thank you. Thank you so much, David. We'll be uh, back in December for sure. I, oh, wait, this is December. Let me fix that. <clears throat> we'll be back Celest- later in the month, maybe? I don't know. Celestin. 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 I call them Celestins. Or Celestians, I call them. <laughs> Celestial. We are luminous beings, after all. Celest. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're going to be back. Definitely talking more about the music of the force awakens yes that's a you know that's a no-brainer and we I'm have so to finish episode three we have to finish episode three we're gonna finish episode three of course we have a lot to say about all the movies still yeah so um i i think you know we're still gonna be doing that but definitely uh, diving head first into uh, the force awakens once that soundtrack is released so uh a lot of people have asked me that people are so concerned with format um, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to be talking about the force awakens regardless of, uh, 
how deep into Revenge of the Sith we are musically, you know, every Star Wars mind is going to be focused on The Force Awakens, and, and I'm sure we're no different, so. Right. Always a great time, David. That was a great interview, and uh, looking forward to more. How can people get a hold of you? They can find me on Twitter at, at David W. Collins. That's probably the easiest and fastest way. Uh, of course, they can also uh, find more of our work. If you're listening to Star Wars Oxygen, you can, of course, check out the Comlink as well, which is youtube.com slash the Comlink. And uh, that's a video show that we do. We feature all kinds of stuff. Uh, Sam Witwer and I doing a uh, uh, Force Unleashed commentary, uh, videos from collections like Gus Lopez, uh, special events, and of course a lot of just Star Wars talk. If you're interested in seeing a video show on your computer screen or on your Apple TV or whatever device you choose, uh, check out the Comlink. That's the best way to find me. Yeah, it's an awesome show, the Comlink with David Collins. And, of course, if you want to get a hold of us here at Star Wars Oxygen, float us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com, or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash rebelforceradio, and reach out to us on Twitter, of course, at rebelforceradio. So keep it all nice nice and tidy and neat for you there. So uh, thank you, thanks again so much. We'll be back soon, sooner than you think. Because there's a lot of Star Wars and John Williams news breaking, and we want to be there on the front lines for all that action. So be sure to check your Rebel Force radio feed and never miss an episode of Star Wars Oxygen. David, another home run. Thanks again. And for Star Wars Oxygen, I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. <laughs>